Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we conclude our series on marijuana. And today we're going to take a look ahead where we are headed with the expanding acceptance and legalization of marijuana across the United States and around the world. I'm going to mention a few more serious health ramifications from marijuana use. And finally, I'm going to conclude with what can parents do about it? I believe they're the key. I'd like to pick up today where I concluded last time, mentioning some of the spiritual ramifications of heavy marijuana use. And as I mentioned last time, a lot of people are totally unaware of the ability, not just of marijuana, but various hallucinogenic drugs to open what uh, New Age religions called the third eye. And I came across an article by a very sincere young man, and actually I believe he had this experience, and I'd like to read just portions of it to, to you. It's entitled Path to Enlightenment, and it's subtitled Cannabis. That's how he had his enlightenment, a spiritual experience. He says, the following is an account of the single most profound spiritually moving and enlightening moment of my life. The enlightenment was achieved solely through the smoking of cannabis. At this point in my life, I'd been a regular cannabis user for about one year. The concept of enlightenment was certainly not in my mind at all as this day began. And just insert a PS, as I mentioned, most marijuana smokers have no idea of what could and maybe is going on during the heavy use of marijuana. I would later come to hold my limited knowledge of Buddhist enlightenment, dear as it proved to be, a valuable guide and framework with which to understand and articulate my experience. In other words, his marijuana enlightenment experience was similar to the teachings of Eastern religion. He said, I made no effort during this time to remain conscious in the normal sense, but let my mind float. I believe at this point, the analytical sensory processing part of my brain gradually stopped. The enlightenment I was experiencing did not happen suddenly, but rather in gradual stages as my consciousness drifted ever upward. The best way to describe it has already been done by Buddhist thinkers, and I think what I experienced matched almost exactly what I had read about Buddhist enlightenment and nirvana. The final stage I entered, my mind ceased to be a distinct entity, but became one with the entire universe. Even weeks and months after this incident, I would still rank this experience as the single most profound in my entire life. It has given me a sort of lasting 
peace and has sparked more of an interest in meditation and similar philosophies. Folks, he has had a conversion experience. He's had a real conversion experience. He's had a real enlightenment. But the enlightenment is not one from the Holy Spirit. It is one of darkness, as I described last time. Jesus' warning in Luke chapter 11, verse 35, Therefore, Jesus said, Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Now, as I mentioned, marijuana is probably giving just a tiny fraction of people using it for the recreational high, but they are undergoing a very slow, very gradual conversion experiences to the Eastern, what it's called monistic, all is one, I'm part of all of one, and basically reframing the consciousness to darkness that appears as light. So what can parents do about this aspect? Because I think actually this is perhaps the most underlooked aspect of marijuana use, heavy marijuana use. And I've read several books and articles, and I've collected them literally for decades. And yet this aspect is very often overlooked. So what can parents do? Well, both parents themselves, because you just can't give to your kids what you aren't living yourself, both parents and their children need to have a vibrant spiritual life. I believe the marijuana plague, and I do believe it's a plague, is one of the results from a land filled with Christians who are living an impoverished spiritual life. They're still very hungry. This young man said, this is the most wonderful, profound spiritual experience of my life. I don't know anything about him. I would just guess that there's a strong possibility that he was raised in a Christian home. Maybe maybe even attended Sunday school or CCD, and yet basically didn't have any strength of spiritual experience so that he goes looking for them, or it comes to him in the form of drug use or Eastern religions. They're both, and I think he is accurate at this point, they're both leading to the same place. There's an important scripture from St. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3. St. Paul says, but understand this. In other words, don't, don't be surprised, don't be taken off course, and be prepared Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self. And if you really, really want to become a lover of self, and I'm speaking from experience, you go to the Eastern religions because you come to regard yourself as divine. That's pretty much loving yourself on steroids. Okay, this is what's going to come in the last days. And then he says, there'll be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient. But here's the the zinger in verses four and five. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what has come in the United States, we have lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in what's called a Christian nation. And pot fits perfectly into the lives of those who are 
lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what characterizes these people falling for pleasure rather than God who can satisfy the human heart, who alone can satisfy the longings of the human heart? This is the problem. Holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it. In other words, the Christian faith is simply an external shell. It's certain motions you go through. Yes, you might attend a sacramental preparation class. Yes, you may still go to Mass regularly, but it's an external thing. It's not really penetrated you. It's not, you haven't really owned it. And holding the form of religion, but denying the power of it, also goes for those who are teaching us about the faith. Let me ask this question. Did God go into retirement after the apostolic age? Because there's sure a lot of theologians and spiritual teachers around today who seem to indicate that. Yes, God's very involved in our lives, maybe influencing our thoughts, but does he really move in a way that this young man describes? Do we really have God touching us at the deepest part of our lives so we can say this is the most meaningful part of my life, or is it a shell? I would encourage those who think God went into retirement at the end of the apostolic age to read St. Augustine's The City of God, book 22, chapter 10, and that's a big book, about 500 pages or so. Just simply go to the last 20 pages, and it begins about 20 pages before the end of City of God, and just read what happens when St. Stephen's relics come into St. Augustine's parish. And, and pretty much everybody was pretty convinced by that time that the uh, apostolic age had ended, and so did the power of God end at that point, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Read what went on and then ask yourself, is that, have I ever encountered anything like described in the city of God? I'm going to encourage a CD. I just kind of hesitated. I personally don't like selling things on Catholic radio, and my personal preference is I wish there was a lot less selling on Catholic radio. I'm not trying to pitch something, but I have a CD at dads.org. Go to the store entitled Transforming Grace, and much more than information against marijuana. I do think you need that, and I do think it's necessary for the 21st century. But more than that, I think it's necessary to have a vibrant spiritual life. That's the answer to those holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says in chapter 8 and verse 15 and 16, when we cry, Abba, Father. It's the Spirit himself bearing witness that we are children of God. When we cry, not just I cry, the Apostle Paul, this isn't something for some spiritual elite. This was the Roman, Roman Catholics, the epistle to the Romans. We are crying out, Abba, Father. That was the normal spiritual life of the first Roman Catholics, and they did quite well, uh, even through their suffering, three centuries of persecution in the Roman Empire, and finally converting it. You see, 
they didn't have impoverished spiritual lives because if they did, there wouldn't be a Roman Catholic Church even in existence today. And this is how you survive during the midst of a cultural collapse or even a cultural apostasy. You have that vibrant spiritual life. Let's go on. That was just the spiritual. There's a lot of dynamics when it comes to the spread of marijuana, and I wanted to undergird some of those spiritual things because in the resources that I have seen, sometimes this is so overlooked that we forget the most important part. But there are some other serious health consequences of regular use of marijuana. Um, To begin with, and this should be pretty obvious, smoking anything is unhealthy. I mean, we finally figured out, and I'm old enough to remember when we were told cigarettes are really okay. You know, we have all these doctors that proved it and all this stuff, which of course is nothing but hypocrisy and buying off certain uh, medical researchers to promote a lie. Smoking is not healthy, and smoking pot is less healthy than smoking cigarettes. Why? Because pot has somewhere between 50 to 70 more carcinogens in it than tobacco. So smoking anything isn't a good idea, okay? So somebody might say, okay, well, that's okay. We'll just eat marijuana brownies. Well, you might want to research the toxic solvents used to extract the THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient, used to extract the THC off the marijuana plant. Those toxic solvents are poisons, and that's what is used to get that part so you can have your edible marijuana brownie. There's a website uh, featuring the Health Ranger, and he's not a you know, I don't think he really cares about the legalization issue, but he really cares for health reasons about the use issue. And here's what he says. Sadly, most pro-cannabis consumers in California have convinced themselves that big tobacco is evil, but smoking pot is safe and natural, even green. Yet the cold, hard truth of the matter is that marijuana in California is often produced with a toxic cocktail of pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. Yep, the very same people who buy organic at the grocery store are now smoking and inhaling cancer-causing weed grown with conventional pesticides. And he mentioned California pot has been scientifically proven to be contaminated. 93% of samples collected by KNBC-TV from 15 dispensaries in Southern California counties tested positive for pesticides. You're smoking or eating poison. Let's go on to another health risk. And uh, young men, you may want to pay attention. Parents, if you have a young man smoking pot, and a lot of young guys are smoking pot, and maybe women, um, give second thought. Smoking pot, uh, somebody might thinking of uh, marrying, is not a harmless habit. But let me get to the facts here. 
the magazine High Times. Now, you might guess High Times is a very, very pro-pot magazine. And High Times, on the September 28, 2017 publication, had this title, Can Smoking Weed Damage Sperm Count? And this is what they say. Recent studies suggest that chronic cannabis use can, and I'm going to just change the word slightly since it's Catholic radio, uh, chronic cannabis use can mess up your sperm. And then they cite a 2015 study in Denmark done with 18 to 28-year-old young men. The sperm count in these 18 to 28-year-olds was 29% lower in men who regularly smoked marijuana. And it was 50 lower in men who regularly smoked combined with other regular drugs. And the idea that you're going to use pot instead of hard drugs or pot instead of alcohol. No, those who smoke pot are liable to do those things at a higher proportion than those who don't smoke pot. So we're talking about 29% lower sperm count in men who regularly smoked marijuana, 55% lower in men who smoked marijuana combined with other recreational drugs. Now, this is right out of high times. This isn't Steve. This isn't any anti-pot book or magazine. This is from high times. Quote, chronic use could impact family structure. Even worse, it can even affect the fate of the human race. This is how the human race is propagated. And really? Do we want to mess things up like this? Here's another one from medicaldaily.com in December 2013. See if I can get this. Can marijuana cause gynecomastia? And I believe that's the technical name for male breast development. You see, the THC in marijuana can decrease testosterone levels in men and basically throw off their endocrine system. And there's still debate about this, but the Mayo Clinic lists marijuana, the THC in marijuana, of one of the causes of male breast development. So guys, is this really a good idea? These are some things that parents need to get a hold of, these facts. And for a young man, needs to know what he might be doing to his body Uh, if he is using marijuana at all or on a semi-regular basis. But I want to come back to where we began this series. This is the fifth broadcast in a series. But I want to come back to the beginning and share with you the most important thing that can be done regarding helping young people stay off of marijuana. I have a fairly, actually a very helpful book entitled Marijuana Debunked, a handbook for parents, pundits, and politicians who want to know the case against legalization. And this is by Dr. Ed Goget. And he is an addiction psychiatrist. He's worked in the area for 30 years. He's treated over 10,000 addicts and alcoholics. And he said this, I found it rather shocking. School-based drug education programs don't work because 
most parents would prefer, let's get a program into schools so it's kind of off my plate. In other words, it's, it's onto the school's responsibility and not mine. And basically, he said that it's parents and popular culture. Let's talk about popular culture for a moment. By popular culture, uh, today we're talking about social media and the entertainment media and maybe a little bit of news that's digested with uh, flipping through um, pages on a smartphone. Those things are very influential. Let me ask you this, mom and dad. Do you think the social media and the entertainment media are going to give a fair hearing regarding the dangers of smoking pot to your son or your daughter? No, I don't think so either. So if the, I mean, I wish they would and they should, but they don't. So if it's not the social media and the entertainment media, and if it's not school-based drug education programs, and and again, don't don't call me up and say I'm a horrible person. I'm I'm just giving you somebody who's worked in this area for 30 years and feels very passionate about it, okay? So that's off the plate. We are down to parents, and that's why I'm coming back to the parents just like I did in our first broadcast in this series. Now, I want to go back to the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, and it surveyed 12 to 17-year-olds across the country. And those young people who believe their parents would strongly disapprove of smoking pot had a 4.8% probability of experimenting with marijuana. Whereas if the same 12 to 17-year-olds had parents who were simply indifferent. In other words, not for or against, uh, never spent any time to research this. And this is an important topic if you're a parent. Have you learned CPR? I hope you have, because it's vital to get oxygen into a, a child who's not breathing. Well, you don't want this stuff going into your child's lungs either. Have you, have you looked? Well, what happens if it's 4.8% for parents who disapprove, and, and particularly I would urge that disapproval to be coupled with facts, it jumps from 4.8% to 31.3%. In other words, one out of 20 kids will experiment with marijuana who have parents who are against it. One out of three kids will experiment with parents who are simply indifferent. And then you couple this. Religious beliefs are very important in a child's life. Only 7.4% will try pot. What happens if the religious beliefs are not very important? It more than doubles. You know what? Here you are listening to Faith and Family Radio, and basically the name of this radio show and what I have been doing for a quarter of a century through the Family Life Center grew straight out of my research in trying to help young people get off pot in the late 1970s. Very interesting. It's faith and family. These are your shields against what wants to lead your children into simply becoming a lover of pleasure or simply holding the form of religion and denying the power of it. Now, parents, I'm aware that there are parents listening to me right now. Yes, I know you're out there who are smoking pot. 
You may have little kids and they don't have any idea what you're doing, whatever. I'm just going to suggest to you right now, right now, make a firm commitment that you're never going to smoke pot again for the eternal welfare of your children. Stop right now, today. And if you're smoking with your spouse, uh, have a powwow at five o'clock. Tell the kids we're going out tonight. We're ordering in pizza, kids. We have something important to discuss. Stop it. Mothers, you need to be aware that the Colorado push for legalization was specifically targeted to mothers. The Atlantic Magazine interviewed the campaign advertising directors for the pro-pot legislation, and they knew moms were key. And one of their main promises, there's like four promises, their main promises was that children would not be affected by smoking pot. Now, in addition to this, the secular media helped. CBS said, quote, medical marijuana legalization won't boost teen pot use. Study finds. Really? Huffington Post. Medical marijuana does not increase teen drug use. Study shows. MSNBC. Study. Legalizing medical pot doesn't boost teen drug use. Well, they they did this study just right after the legislation was passed, before there were very many medical marijuana cards. Let's see what happened. According to a study, after the medical marijuana cards were distributed, 40% of 12th grade students who lived in states with medical marijuana laws say they got their marijuana through their own or someone else's marijuana cards. 40%. In Colorado, 74% of teenagers in substance abuse treatment had used medical marijuana. And teen medical use between 2006 and 2011 increased 33% in medical marijuana states, while only 6% increase in states without those laws. So moms don't fall for the deception that they're trying to do. What worked in the 1970s, there's a directly inverse relationship between a teenager's perception of the harm of marijuana and their use. If the perception is high, the use is low. If the perception that the harm is basically very minimal, then the use will be high. Parents got on board in 1978 to 1992, and as a result, the number of teens who believed marijuana was harmful doubled while those smoking it dropped by two-thirds. So it's time to revisit the parent power for keeping kids off of marijuana. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 188 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.